You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Chiefs Kingdom, welcome in to your finale episode of the AP Draft Room Podcast on the Arrowhead Pride Podcast Network. Appreciate you joining us all off-season, all-season. We covered the 2022 draft, uh, and, and as, as you know, as, as you all know who, who followed us and covered the live stream, we are all tired, exhausted, um, you know, our brains are melted, not in, the, and not in the process of melting, but they are melted, but it was a really fun weekend. Chiefs gave us plenty to talk about, plenty to react to, plenty of excitement, I would say. And yeah, we're here to talk about it. I'm Ron Cobb Jr., the lead analyst at ArrowheadPride.com. With me, as always, we got our trio here. Talon Graf at CoachGraf34 on Twitter and Brian Stewart at Brian Stewart underscore on Twitter. Guys, we've made it. We got past the draft. All of us are, are semi still functioning um, brain function wise. Uh, Talon, what's up, dude? How are, how are you feeling today after a long weekend? Yeah, I'm feeling good. Um, I think the Chiefs had a great draft. They had a lot of value and had a lot of uh, a lot of nice pieces that are going to probably play big roles for many years. So, um, I mean, that's that, that that's a lot to ask for one draft. And Brett Veach, I think, delivered on that. Brian, how are you feeling? It was a it was a definitely a, a weekend for the books. Um, how are you feeling about the draft and just in general? Yeah, great too. And um, I I messaged everybody yesterday. I, I feel like the Chiefs, for all the ground that they may be lost in the early part of the offseason compared to you know just some of the contenders in the AFC, I think they made up a lot of ground this weekend with their draft class, um, just having more picks than those teams uh, like, like Buffalo and Cincinnati and the Chargers, just to name a few. Um, who, who didn't have as many picks as they did. So so yeah. if it works out the way that it looks on paper, uh, I think that gap's kind of evened out again. And and so it's exciting and it makes you just kind of want to fast forward to training camp a little bit uh, to see right. where they stack up. I, I think uh, it'll be another really, really solid season the way it stands. No, you're so right, man. That's the thing about the draft. As soon as it's over, I'm like, all right, what does these what do these dudes look like on the field? I want to get to St. Joe. I want to see these guys competing. And we got to wait a whole three months for it. Um, we'll get OTAs, though. We'll get a little r- rookie man at camp. Chiefs will give us a little something to uh, overanalyze, uh, you know, look at the the pictures and the little clips they put out on social media and, and completely overlook or overthink uh, what they're kind of showing us. I love that season, but okay. We, we're, we're talking about the draft here. For anyone who lived under a rock all weekend and didn't uh, didn't see the entirety of what the Chiefs selected, here's the rundown real quick for you. So in the first round, the Chiefs ended up trading up for cornerback Trent McDuffie from Washington, and then also drafting George Karloftis, the Purdue edge rusher. In the second round, the Chiefs uh, traded down, actually, traded down a few spots and and picked Sky Moore, the Western Michigan wide receiver, and then stood pat at a 62 pick and took safety Brian Cook from Cincinnati. 
In the third round, the only third round pick they had, the Chiefs took Leo Chennault, the Wisconsin linebacker. On day three, the Chiefs started out taking Joshua Williams, a Fayetteville State cornerback, who they met with in the pre-draft process. In the fifth round, the Chiefs steal the draft. We'll talk about it a little later, but uh, Kentucky offensive tackle Darian Kennard, um, he went number 145 overall in the fifth round. And then with their three seventh-round picks, they ended up taking another cornerback, Jalen Watson, the Washington State cornerback, another one they met in the pre-draft process along with Joshua Williams. Running back Isaiah Pacheco, Pacheco, I have checked the pronunciation on that, uh, for Rutgers. And then finally rounding it out, the safety from Marshall. I, I believe he's a safety. We'll see. He played about 50% of his uh, snaps in the slot last year. They drafted him as a safety, though, and that is Nazi Johnson, the Marshall safety. So 10 picks in total, the Chiefs did. Lots to break down there, but I do want to start off here, fellas. We did a little draft amongst ourselves before the draft, drafting players that we think the Chiefs could pick. And, uh, you know, I don't mean to brag, but only one of us here picked the guy they actually selected. Uh, yeah, I got, I got lucky. I took George Karloftis. I mean, we all kind of saw this coming, right? I think I don't think anyone was surprised to see Karloftis go off the board. He was a very Spags edge. You can actually hear Spags... Um, come out later and and uh say or he was talking to him on the phone was like oh you were my favorite edge in the class or whatever or maybe amongst the ones available yeah okay spags anyway so looking at your guys's teams when you guys look at them right now is there anybody from your team that you drafted that you were just like man i really wish they would have found a way to get him it would have been really cool and i know you know i know there's a few options for this right but uh just looking at your class, any realistic options where you're like, man, how did they not end up with them on the team? Um, I, I mean, just personally, I really like Josh Pascal. And, but once that George Collins right. pick happened, it was all but gone. Like they're not going to take him. They're, they're pretty much, they, they bring a lot of the same things. So, um, but yeah, I mean, those first two rounds, you know, I, depending on which way they went, I was really hoping Pascal would have been the, the edge that they maybe traded up for in the second round had, you know, depending on how they went. But after that Carl Aftis pick, like I said, I, I knew it wasn't going to happen. But for me, that was the guy I was really hoping for. Yep. That's, that's good logic there. Um, I really like Pascal. Brian, you had a few guys that, that would have been cool to see in chief's uniform. I'll be honest when they, when they traded up in the first round, I actually thought it was going to be for Jermaine Johnson. I think we all did, right? It, yep. it made a little too much sense. And he actually fell, I mean, ended up being what 24, I think. And it, it felt like a dream, you know, but not that he's a perfect prospect. Like he's, he's not. And there are some, you know, things as far as like, he's not the bendiest rusher, similar to what you'd say about Carl Loftus, but, um, you know, that being said, I understand the McDuffie pick. I like it a lot. Um, it's not anything against that. It's just that was a situation where I, I was all but certain that they were going up for Jermaine and would have been really, really thrilled if they had. Same here, man. No, I really did, too. I, you know, you mentioned how maybe some similarities between him and Carl Loftus. I do think Jermaine Johnson just had the bigger build, right? A little bit bigger of a, of a build or just a better build, better frame for, as a as a traditional defensive end in, in a 4-3 defense. Just a little more juice in terms of getting around that edge and, and getting after a quarterback, in my opinion. Both high-floor prospects. I mean, Jermaine Johnson had a higher floor to me. And he is that is going to be one of those things that I feel like, you know, as people that follow the draft, we're always going to be comparing him and Johnson. Um, and it's not going to be – the greatest zone in the world if, if Johnson's a lot better of a pass rusher and, and is a really good player in the NFL and Karloftis is maybe not as good. Uh, but we'll see because 
you're right. They traded for McDuffie. You know, uh, Johnson wasn't there at the second pick, so you know you can't blame him too much at, at some point if they really valued cornerback over over Jermaine Johnson. So I thought that was fun though. But let's get into some big picture takeaways here, fellas. We've got the whole draft now. You guys followed us along. You guys saw our live streams and reacting to each pick as it happened. You know, it, it, you know when you're reacting to each pick as it happens, it's it's you're only looking at that one player for that one spot. Um, you're not looking at the big picture, obviously, each time. There's a lot going on. Now we have the whole draft ready to go. The whole drafts are done. You know, they're all they're all um, finalized. Big picture takeaways for me. I'll start here. I just really feel like when you're talking about the needs that we that we all talk about all offseason or all draft process, the defensive needs they were going to need. We talked about cornerback, right? We talked about safety. We talked about defensive end. We talked about another linebacker. They hit all those. They, they hit all of those positions. You know, the only thing they didn't really do was double up on edge and defensive line, but they at least addressed it with somebody that you're pretty confident is going to come in right away and chew up that, that you know, snaps at defensive end. So just I, I really think that, you know, even if they didn't mean to or not, they went after needs pretty hard on the defensive side of the ball especially. And they did, I think, pretty well. When you look at what they did defensively, what else stands out to you? Um, you know, because I do think, you know, they picked Karloftis, but could we be more? Could could there have been more additions to the defensive line room, guys? Do you think? Do you think they, they that was kind of short sighted? Um, could there have been, you know, more additions in the defensive line room? What do you think? I mean, I think within house, I think it just kind of speaks to who they have. They must like Stallworth a lot. They must see something in Kendo. Uh, because to not address it, it, it speaks more to, you know, that tells you just as much as if they did address it. So they must like who they have, you know, Melvin Ingram still leaning around out there. So if, yeah, if there is a late addition veteran, it could be him. Um, but yeah, obviously they like, they like the room. So if, the, you know, Travis Jones, they had multiple, uh, opportunities to take him. He was sliding. They kept trading back. Um, you know, Paron so Winfrey. Think, Paron Winfrey, that too. So I, I they clearly, did not feel those guys were, you know, uh, vital enough to their room to, to, to take them. So, yeah, I mean, I think what stands out to me is their uh, address uh, focus on the secondary and just yeah. how many picks they address there, not just corner, but safety as well. Um, so Brett Veach clearly felt there was a big hole in the secondary in 2021 or, or, you know, for 2022, and he addressed that through the draft. Five defensive backs drafted. Five defensive backs drafted. That is a lot. Um, yeah, Brian, when you look at what they did defensively, what stands out to you and how, how they attacked it? In, in the defensive backfield, too, it's like speed, you know, is something they clearly feel like they lacked. And they did. I mean, we broke these games down all, all last year. And the safety group especially was not playing with, uh, at a high play speed. Um, you know, Traverius Ward, even though a, a really solid player, speed was never really his calling card either. Um, I think McDuffie's a, a little bit quicker, especially in um, tight spaces. But, you know, I, I would agree kind of with the idea that you know, we've talked about Ingram ad nauseum. It could be somebody else, too. It could be Robert Quinn if he's available in the trade market. Uh, but that one pass rusher, that one edge defender to rotate with um, now Karloftis and Clark and Kando and, and Mike Dana, I think that's the missing piece. They, they need it. Um, if they're going to get to the top of the mountain, that's something they're going to have to add. But I think it's pretty much the only thing on defense right now that, that concerns me. I, th I think they're set at linebacker. 
corner is is young but deep and safety looks set to me too and it, it looks stronger than it has in maybe the entire uh patrick mahomes era so when you look at what they did when they drafted five defensive backs and you look at not adding pass rush is there a is there a chance they kind of did that reactionary right is there a chance they're thinking look this pass rush is not going to we're there's no nothing we can do right now that's going to make it like super good or the strength of our team you know especially maybe after the Karloftis pick and real and you know once they pick Sky Moore and realize all right it's kind of a drop off and and talented edge rushers could this overemphasis on defensive backs be their way of of flipping it and saying hey you know we're going to rely on our pass defense our coverage to be the strength of our team which helps our pass rush kind of, you know, an under uninspiring pass rush under, you know, talented pass rush, maybe, you know, get home because they have a lot more time to get home because the coverage is so good. I don't think that's something that Spagnolo has, has, I think he likes to, you know, start from the trenches, right? That's how I would personally, I'm a guy, Hey, get, get after the quarterback. And then it allows your cornerbacks and safeties to get help. Right. It might be the other way around they're doing right now. And is that smart? I don't know, Talon. What do you think when you when you think of kind of overemphasizing coverage rather than pass rush? Are we going to get to Jan- Are we going to get to week one and just be like, well, the pass rush still isn't good, and so it means the defense still isn't really that good? I mean, is the coverage really going to be able to shadow what looks like still an uninspiring pass rush? I mean, there may be some of that happening uh, to where they're they're planning on, hey, let's let's just cover as long as we can and give our guys up front th- as much time to get to the quarterback because that's their strength, right? They're not going to be speed guys. They need a little bit of time to to get their counter moves in there. Um, that might be some of the thought process, but I think a lot of it was there's a lot of guys leaving that room. Tyron Matthews gone, uh, Dan Sorensen's gone. Um, I know there's a third one that, that that's not coming to me right now, but. Um, so I think a lot of this is just we we have to refill that room. And yeah, they signed Dion Bush. Yes, they brought in Justin Reed. Um, but a lot of this is is insurance for that secondary because it's a vital part of that defense, right? That safety room is so huge to what this defense wants to accomplish. Um, so yeah, I just I just I don't know. I don't know if it's really a scheme shift or just we have to fill that room because it's important. Yeah, no, that's a good that's a good point. Um Brian, do you have anything to add to the fact that, you know, we they may just be stocking secondary, you know, because the pass rush is just lacking a little bit. Let, let me start here. I, I think more so it's just they're, they were plucking the best guy on their board. And if, if that just so happened to be a secondary guy and another secondary guy, then, then that's just how it fell. I, I think they want to build that thing out as level as possible, you know, in balance. Um, but let me ask you about this. The, these three linebackers they have – if you do want to get into the the conversation about blitzing and and what they could do with those three, I mean, those are, those are some some ass kickers, man. And and <laughs> all three of those guys can, you know, I think do some things as pass rushers from the second level, um, even the first level, uh, especially with Chanel, the the rookie they just picked up. That's where I think Spagnolo could start to really uh, kind of open up his his mind in terms of what he can do base package wise um, with those, with those dudes. Cause they are fearless and physical. No, dude, I, I love the thought of that because there, there are some things they can do here. Right. I think, and first of all, let's shout out a few, a few of our AP writers, some great guys in the draft team, Jared Sapp, actually, when we were live reacting to pick, you know, the pick at 54 sky Moore, we all kind of thought the Patriots might be taking Leo Chanel there. And that kind of shows you how big of a steal it was that the chiefs got him 50 picks later. 
But the one thing he kind of said was he might be the one linebacker in this class that can pull Micah Parsons and really become, uh, you know, a legit rusher off the edge as well as a, as a good off-ball linebacker. And I do think Chanel has that kind of athletic ability. And and you mentioned the pass rush, man. I, I I really think he has those strong hands and those quick hands and and just his just his like his direction towards the quarterback. He's just always on a beeline towards him. He he always finds a way to get. I mean, he. I watched the Iowa game, man. He gave Tyler Linderbaum fits, man. I Linderbaum must have nightmares about Leo Chanel. And and I think and you're talking about one of the best center prospects we've seen in a while, according to some people. And so that, that shows you something about what Leo Chanel can do as a rusher. And so, yeah, I, lo- I love that thought, man, the creativity they can do. And, and I, but before I get into that, because I do think that's going to be a discussion we can do a little later. I, I, you know, the first thing you said, the ass kickers, right? I think that's another big picture takeaway we can take away from this draft. All the guys they picked, man, are just guys that are coming in and, and, and they're going to give you high effort and they're going to hit you and, and they're going to give, you know, smack you. Trent McDuffie, maybe not. Maybe he's more of a finesse player, right? I do think he still has some aggressive, he's aggressive, he has an aggressive mindset. And that's, you kind of have to as a corner, as an outside corner. And I definitely think he has some of that. But, you know, he's just not the physically dominating guy like some other guys. But George Karloftis, Brian Cook, obviously a strong safety box type that's going to hit you hard. Chanel, obviously. Even on the offensive side, though, Darian Kennard, the offensive tackle from Kentucky, is going to be an ass kicker as well. So is there something too? you know, do you guys like to see them kind of just go after those guys or is, is it kind of an overrated thing maybe to consider? Um, it, it is interesting. It's definitely a theme, right? I, I would I would think so. But it, how how important of a theme is it? I guess just a fun theme, right? Yeah, clearly it was a theme for this draft. And I don't know if it, they meant for it, but it just happened. Right. It just happened that way. And it, maybe that, you know, clearly it might be a window into what they value as a draft, you know, as a draft prospect and what they try to find out throughout the process of interviews and stuff. So, um, you know, maybe it is a thing that they want to bring into the, to the locker room. They have, you know, a, a good leadership structure to, to bring in guys to, to, to harness that aggression in the right way. So yeah, if you can, if you can get guys like that in house and make sure that they don't go outside the limits of the game, that, that just makes your team, you know, if you can score a lot of points and, and kind of let people know about it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Get, get, get you an edge. The the skill part, of course, is a is a prerequisite. Still, like you have to be able to move functionally, and and all those guys can. But right. you know, I'm I'm viewing it like we've seen four years of Mahomes now, and I think it's easy if you're a defensive player to kind of fall into that, especially in the regular season. Like, well, we, you know, we have Mahomes; he's going to keep us in every game. We don't have to be perfect, you know you add all these guys on defense who are just kind of like they played a little bit crazy. Um, I don't think you have to worry about people like that relaxing and kind of, you know, playing second fiddle. I think they're just always on and um, at the, at the uh, expense of the offensive players, like the best offenses in the AFC, they're kind of flash, right? They got the quarterbacks, the receivers and, and things like that. And when they come play the Chiefs now, it's going to be a battle, man. And they're going to be leaving those games with more bumps and bruises than they'll have probably any other week. I think there's something to be said for that. Yeah, I mean, I, I think you're right. We've seen on the offensive side of the ball, we're kind of hoping that we see a more aggressive mindset when it comes to just running downhill, running down their throat. And I think defensively, you know, I do think it, it, it's something to, to mention, too. We say it's happening this year. It's a theme this year. You know, last year they picked Nick Bolton in the second round. You know, the year before they picked Legarius Sneed, who's obviously a very aggressive player, aggressive mindset type of player. You know, it's been a theme of theirs, uh, you know, for a few years of the kind of defensive players they've been drafting. 
And it's starting to, you know, become a really fun core, a really nice, fun core. Nice is not the right word, right? Uh, I shouldn't say nice, but, uh, you know, uh, it, it's a good young core for sure. And I, I'm excited about it. We're going to get into the exact, you know, numbers and, and everything of the roster a little bit later, which is going to be fun to go through. But another takeaway I had from the draft on the offensive side of the ball, we talk about needs that they filled on defense. I think it's the same thing on offense. They, they, the only two positions they drafted on offense, uh, and, and you know, I'm, I'll, I'll leave out Pacheco for now. The the seventh round pick at running back that was, you know, the eleventh to last pick in the draft. They've only picked a receiver and a player capable of playing right tackle. That that means something to me that that they weren't they didn't want to waste. They don't need they didn't feel the need to waste. I guess picks on an immediate playmaker at running back or someone that can really give them something from tight end or maybe even another receiver. They didn't feel like they needed to do that. They really just said, all right, we just need another receiver in here. Someone who, and I definitely think Sky Moore compliments what Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Valdez-Scantling bring, even McColl too, to an extent. I think he compliments that. That's a need. And then they filled in with Darren Kennard, the, the offensive tackle from Kentucky, who is obvious. I, I can't believe he was there, man. I, I will say it. I... He was my seventh-ranked tackle in the class. I actually liked him enough to where I was considering him, even over Falele, who ended up going later than than uh, you know we all kind of thought. But man, I, I really think the Chiefs could have found another starting offensive lineman later in the class, just like Trey, Trey Smith last year. But all in all, just I'm just I like the fact that they didn't feel the need. All right, let's get a running back in the fourth round and, and really add to the offense, or you know let's 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 try to take a swing on a tight end here. I kind of thought they would do it. But they really stuck to their board. They filled the defensive, you know, they filled the defensive depth up. And the only offensive swings they took were really good values and really, you know, positions that they really needed in terms of, you know, they're not, you know, taking a luxury pick or anything, which I really like that. Um, when you guys saw the Kennard pick, you, I know, I'm, you know, I'm sure I know you were aware of Kennard, obviously, but when you started in the fifth round, were you guys excited to see that they did address right tackle? Was it something? Um, that, you know, maybe you were a little indifferent about, like, how'd you feel about them going after a, a right tackle, um, you know, potential person, I guess, what do you feel about it? I felt great. Um, for me personally, I knew Kennard had, was well-spoken about in, in yeah. a lot of scouting circles. Um, and for me personally, he was a second, third rounder. So yeah, fifth round. And at the point who they had gotten before the, the, the needs they'd already addressed, right why not? I mean, everything lined up, the value, the need it's, I mean, my gosh, getting Darren Kennard, who in all honesty is probably going to come in and really push to, to start day one. I would not be shocked at all to see him be that right tackle. Um, again, great offensive line value. Creed Humphrey. I know he was an earlier pick, but that's a, he's a great center. He's probably the best center in the game right now. Trey Smith, everybody knows about his value. Darren Kennard falls right in line. Andy Heck is just getting all these guys together and he's going to have the best unit that he's ever had. Brian, definitely want to hear your take on that too. But I also let's talk. I also do want to talk about and get your take on like, should there have been a double up at receiver? We all talked about it over and over in the pre-draft process, and they didn't do it. Would you have liked to see them get another receiver um, at at some point as well? So starting on on Kennard, um, something I was really fascinated by today was seeing or, or hearing Veach when he called him and he said, you know, we've been checking these boxes. The only box left we haven't checked is right tackle. And when he says something like that, you know, it comes off to me like you're telling this kid you have a chance to come in here and and earn a starting job. He didn't say we need an an offensive tackle. He said we need a right tackle. Um, So 
it's just crazy. And you guys know, I didn't really have a chance to see this happen live. So when I check my phone and see Chiefs took Darian Kennard in the fifth round, it's, I had to do some double and triple takes there. It didn't seem really possible. Um, feels like they cheated the league a little bit again on the offensive line. So, um, yeah, super pumped about that one. And then at wide receiver, I do think it would have been nice to double down. Um, once they didn't take one in the first round, I kind of figured it, it was maybe a little bit unlikely that they would be able to do it. Um, you know, I, I do think at that point they're just playing their board. And Sky Moore at 54, that was the best guy for them. And then after that, it just never came together quite the same. Um, so long term, that position, a little bit of concern. You only have him and Valdez Scantling um, yeah. under contract pass this year. And, you know, maybe it's a situation where they extend one of these guys or they have to dip back in the free agent and draft pool next year. Hard to say right now. Yeah, no, that's a good point on the receiver. And we're going to get into the, the numbers of the position, like I said, a little later. That'll be good a good position to kind of talk through and see exactly if there even is a spot for another guy to actually contribute. Um, but, you know, we, we the only other thing I wanted to maybe hit on big take-wise, is there something to their emphasis, what seemed like an emphasis on youth? They picked Their first three picks were all guys that only spent three years in college. You know, obviously as young as you can be, really, for an NFL prospect. Um, is there anything to that? I, I'm curious your guys' thoughts because there is something to maybe, hey, like a, a guy, you know, maybe at 21 he gets picked here, but if he would have stayed in college a couple of years, he gets picked in the top five and then you get good value, right? You know, that's not obvious. I don't think that's necessarily the case for any of these guys maybe. Maybe Karloftis, I think he could have. Maybe, you know, uh, another big year maybe, he and he does, although I don't know if he had a room for another big year in college. But I don't know, Talon. Is there anything to drafting young like that? Because they definitely did in the first few rounds. I mean, I think when you look at it, I think there's a history of Veach making picks of guys who are 21 years old. And I think when you look at that, when you do that, it kind of lines up to where you, potentially you can get two contracts out of them before they're 30. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know if that's the thought process, but to me, it's like, hey, that's pretty good value. I mean, this is going to be a good football player who can grow, develop. He's still going to, there's a ceiling, but we're still going to get him for that second contract before he peaks out. So I think there's some sort of financial ramifications to that. Maybe I'm going to, you know, butterfly effect, but I don't know. <laughs> no, that's, that's a good point because, you know, and, and if a guy doesn't play very well right away either, if he's just a solid player, maybe doesn't bloom until closer to that first or that second contract, maybe you get him pretty cheap. You can extend him cheaper and then you have him for what is his prime during that second contract. Another guy I should mention too, Leo Chanel was 21 years old at the time of the draft, another young player. Um, Brian, is there anything to that? Just curious your thoughts. Well, it's a piece of the evaluation process, and it should be. You know, if a GM and, and a head coach and all these guys who are involved in it weren't taking it into consideration, I think that would be really foolish. Um, and so it could just be they're getting into these these debates about players and it's tipping the scales a little bit in certain directions. And if it is, I totally understand because, you know, they, they could have took a guy like Boye Mafe where they took George Karloftis. Um, and while, you know, there are strengths and weaknesses to both of those players' games, Karloftis is a couple years younger, almost, I don't know, almost three years younger. And that yeah. is, that's a big deal when you talk yeah. about, like Talon said, the contract piece. No, it's, it is. It's a good point. That's why I wanted to bring it up because I do think, 
you know, I, I actually, I, you know, shout out one of my friends, James Fisher. I, I had a good conversation with him about it. Cause he was like, is there really anything to like, why does it matter if he's 21 or 23? I mean, and I just, you know, there is something to it a little bit. And, and I do think you have to consider, especially when you're comparing one prospect to the other in the draft. So those are some good big picture takeaways. I mean, we could talk forever about what to think about this class and there's still more to talk about, but let's put it to the test. Let's put you guys on the record. Talon, what was your favorite pick out of all the picks? Cause there were a few to like, what was your favorite pick of the class? I'm going to go Trent McDuffie. Um, there was a surprise factor. Didn't see it coming. That's always, you know, a part of the draft is as much as we want to be right and accurate as a fan. It's still like, ah, didn't see that coming. I love yeah. it. You know, just that, you know, and the fact that they traded up for him and they, they, they wanted him. Um, that was their guy. They didn't necessarily think he was going to be there. So once, and I love the aggression factor that, you know, the, the fire from the, Hey, this guy's there. Let's go get him. Um, you know, the, the price of what they had to go get him. We'll see if it pays off. Uh, I know it looks like a lot right now, but Trent McDuffie is a dog. Um, shout out to uh, Kyle Middlebrooks. He is a former fellow coach of mine. He's his, he's a cousin of Trent. So he he reached out to me and uh, let me know how excited Trent was to be a part of the Chiefs. And I'm, I'm super thrilled to have this guy in the backfield. And I think this guy is going to be a, a huge impact from day one moving forward. I love it. Brian, who's yours? It's McDuffie for me, too. Uh, I've got a little teaser for the listeners. Um, the day this this podcast is dropping is probably the same day that my profile on McDuffie comes out on the website. So check that out on, on Arrowhead Pride. But um, I think I speak for us all a little bit here. Like, we just didn't really think that maybe the fit was perfect and that they would be, you know, for one, we didn't think he would fall down the board far enough. And then you know, was the fit is great. He, he's not a hands press corner, um, even though he did line up close to the line of scrimmage a lot. And man, I, I, I did that review on him, came away just super pumped. Um, I think he is going to be, you know, he's got the most upside in their cornerback room. Um, mm-hmm. Even though I love Legereus Sneed, you, you guys know that, but it's going to help this defense a lot immediately. I mean, year one, year two, year three, he's going to be Uh, I think what I would call him is a get-off-the-field type player. And by that, I mean third down, fourth down. They need good coverage. They need a tackle in space. They, you know, whatever it is, he's going to make those plays. He's going to help the defense get the ball back in Patrick Mahomes' hands. That's the kind of player he is. So there's just no way not to be kind of juiced about that. Yeah, and that was a point I made on the AP live stream um, when the McDuffie pick got made was, yeah, it's not the typical Chiefs corner. We, we know that. It's not the the length, the physicality necessarily, you know, the press you know press experience. But they might be sacrificing some of what they really like typically from their cornerbacks for someone that can just cover better straight up, um, you know, because those guys that are longer and a little bigger, they're going to have they're, they are like that because they sacrifice some speed and, and quickness and coverage ability, um, you know, sticking to a guy. And we saw it last year. Spagnolo is willing to put those guys on islands against guys like Jamar Chase for some reason. And if you if you really want to get off the field on a third and 27 and you really want to put a, someone on one and one, you got now have a guy you feel a lot better about uh, doing so instead of a Ward or Rashad Fenton or a Sneed. It's just straight up. They're all good players in their own right. But. I don't think any of them's strength is is necessarily just being a sticky cover corner that's really you know that that you know sticks on a receiver really well. McDuffie wasn't a man-to-man corner, you know, it, it was a lot of zone in Washington, but he played man sometimes and, and what I saw I liked. I I really did. Um so I I think that's a great point, Brian. And so that that's your favorite pick, both of your guys' favorite picks, which hey, you can't you can't hate that because he was the first pick in the class. 
I'm going to go a little deeper, though. I'm going to say Darren Kennard was my favorite pick because of the value, man. The, the Chiefs, for the second straight year, seem to have found an offensive lineman at least capable of starting later on day three, which is just it's crazy to me because I really think Kennard just has a that foundation. He has a foundation to be a starting offensive tackle. He has the size. He has the strength. He has the anchor. Like He has all that. The finer things that he needs to work on, yeah, that, that, that stuff is something everyone needs to work on, but not everybody has the size and the 11-inch hands, 11 and a quarter-inch hands that Darren Kennard has. Not everyone has the wingspan this dude has. He is a monster and just someone that just does not get moved off his spot very well. And, hey, I will say, when you're talking about a medium impact, we talk about Trey Smith. Look, Trey Smith is special because he, he's really good, don't get me wrong. He also played guard. And at guard, you know, you're not put on island as much. You're not put in these situations to, to be put in a negative situation as much as a tackle. That's where I think Kennard, we may need to not compare him too much to Trey Smith because I think he could come away, come in and still be capable of starting. But you see a lot more bad plays from him because he's a right tackle instead of a right guard. So I, I do think I want to put that little caveat on there. But when you're talking about who else is at right tackle, you're talking about a Lucas Niang, Andrew Wiley, Jerron Christian. I mean, there's no reason Kennard can't be better than any of those guys. I think Niang, if he's healthy, just because of the NFL experience, I do think he might be a little lighter on his feet in terms of getting back in a pass set, even though he struggles with that. Kennard may still not be as good as him at that. All that to say, he's capable of starting. You picked him in the fifth round. I like it. He was my favorite pick of the draft with with so many picks to choose from, man, really. And and I went with Darren Kennard. So. From that point on, that does not mean your favorite pick is going to be the guy that impacts the team the most right away. Talent or Brian, I'll start with you here. What is your way too soon prediction? Because it is pretty soon. We don't even know what's, you know how the roster completely is going to fill out yet. But way too soon prediction for the Mackley Hill Award, which is the team's rookie of the year at the end of the year. Who do you got? I have George Karloftis. Um, I think this is a situation where you've got a marriage of of opportunity and a player who is going to do a, a solid to good job in year one. You know, he's pretty ready made in terms of he, he can start right from the go. Um, I'm pretty sure. I don't remember if it was Veach, Andy or both, but one of them said, you know, that's what's going to happen. He's going to come in and be ready to produce. And it, it could be a situation where he doesn't have to put up 10 sacks necessarily to be the rookie of the year, but he, you know, comes in with the right attitude, which he seems to have, works really, really hard, which he seems to do, um, wins his teammates over a little bit, and then on top of that is a starter at defensive end, plays the run well, and, you know, logs, I don't know, six, eight, ten sacks at, at a premium position. That's going to be tough not to vote for, um, although I could see this going several different directions, and that just kind of speaks to the class as a whole. But I, I'm going with Karloftis for this uh, Rookie of the Year award. Town, who are you thinking? So I'm going Darren Kennard, and I know it's that's a way too early because who knows if he's going to start. But right. um, I think when it boils down to it, it's going to come down to him and and Yang. And if Yang can't stay healthy, that's just that's another thing that that's going against him. So Kennard's going to be in there. He's going to be aggressive. He's he's got a chip on his shoulder. Everybody heard the quote. I can't wait to play the 31 other teams. This is a guy that's, that wants to play offensive line. He's a nasty dude, but. But yep. there's, like you said, there's some refinement that has to be made, and any heck's going to do it. And he's, right. he, there's, there's going to be some rough spots. There's going to be patches where it's, 
it's like, ooh, <laughs> is this the right? Is this the right five? But but they're going to find the right five. They're going to put the right five together. And I think Kennard's going to come in, and he's going to be so uh, team oriented and so protective of, of Patrick Mahomes. It's going to be uh, the team's going to just draw themselves to that and really build off of that and really really buy into that. And I think that that's going to lead to him getting this award. Hey, man, I, I like you bringing that up. You, you see, he's a guy that you saw his interview after he got drafted. I don't know who was interviewing that little video of him, like in his backyard or whatever, but man, he was not happy. And and one of the things he kind of emphasized, he was not happy, I should say, uh, that he fell so far. He, he thought of himself as a day two pick. Um, and one of those things he kind of mentioned was like, you know, I know how it goes as an offensive lineman. You're judged off of how much your quarterback gets hit. And I think we kind of heard that from from Trey Smith last year, too, and Creed Humphrey. You just like to hear that kind of stuff, uh, knowing that, like, look, I know what, what the deal is. Like, I could be the greatest run blocker in the world. I could bulldoze dudes every single run play. But if I'm getting beat around the outside on on third down, then, you know, people aren't going to be a fan of me. And uh, he know he knows the assignment, I guess, for the for the younger for the younger generation out there. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm not on TikTok, but he understood the assignment. Boom. I don't even think I, I didn't even say it right the first time. So. Look at me. Look at me trying to be hip. Uh, way too soon prediction for the Mackley Hill Award. For me, I'm going to say Sky Moore just because he's a wide receiver, just because he could put up a few big plays. You know, that, that kind of, you know, he could be kind of the, I think people could kind of say at, towards the end of the year maybe that, you know, he was the difference, you know, why the offense was able to, you know, really be, you know, super effective this year compared to last year in certain situations because, they had a third guy that they really like behind Kelsey and Juju Smith-Schuster and Marquez Bell, the scouting. So a fourth guy that takes advantage of secondary coverage and scores a few, you know, um, important touchdowns. I can just see that being the case, even if, you know, he may not be the best player out of the guys, uh, the rookies, because I'm really confident in some of these defensive guys we've already talked about. I really feel like we're going to see some really good impact for some of these defensive players like a Trent McDuffie, who none of us named here. Um, which, you know, hey, it might be too easy of an answer because uh, he is he is the one guy that we know are going to come in and start at corner right away. But I like our answers there. Let's go to this one, though. I think this is an interesting discussion before we hit break. The quickest to earn an extension. So the quickest, technically the quickest player to get to that second contract, quickest player to get signed to a second deal with the team. Uh, Brian, who did you think of for this one? I'm circling back to McDuffie here. And for me, it's just, well, so spoiler alert, in that, article that I wrote, um, I said, I, I, I reiterated what I said when I graded the pick last Thursday. And that's, I think in a chief's uniform, we're going to see McDuffie earn at least one Pro Bowl selection at some point. Um, and if that's going to happen, that means he's really, really good guys who are like that, you know, he, he may not even make it to his fifth year option. Um, if he's hits the ground running here in the first couple of years, and, you know, as the top pick, I, I guess I'm kind of playing the odds a little bit, but I just think long term, he's going to be the most impactful player and he's going to earn a, a hefty payday in Kansas City. Yeah, to go back to our discussion before about McDuffie, you know, we talk about how the Chiefs have typically, you know, typically the longer, bigger corners. Well, I do think at the same time, in the same vein, they understand that those guys are are easier to find, too, right? Because they're not highly valued by every NFL team like a guy like McDuffie is. And that's why I think, you know, when we talk about maybe Veach not valuing cornerback in his career so far, a guy like McDuffie, we just saw him trade up for him. I do think he could value him in the same way once that contract comes up and actually pay him, you know, because he let Ward walk this year. But Ward is kind of the style of player you can maybe find elsewhere, while McDuffie's talents are, are less replaceable, obviously. Talon, who did you think of for quickest to earn a second contract here? 
So I went with Brian Cook, uh, the safety out of yeah. Cincinnati. Uh, just looking ahead at what the safety group looks like beyond 2022. One Thornhill is potentially not going to be there. Justin Reed's sewn up. Um, but you're going to have to have somebody slot into that second spot. And I think Brian Cook has a lot of developing to do, but he's going to develop. He's going to get better. So by the time next year rolls around, he might be ready to slide in that spot. And I think he's going to be a guy that just explodes off the page, that, you know, shocks everybody at where at how far he fell. Because he's relatively new uh, to, to, to a full-time safety role. He didn't have a lot of experience yeah. at Cincinnati. So I think this guy has a really high ceiling. Um, and I think that the team's going to see that. The team's going to reward that. And they're going to want him to be locked up, uh, you know, before these other big-time contracts start rolling in. Yeah, I think it's a really good pick. Because when you think about, first of all, I think he's going to be a really good culture guy. I, I feel, you know, he's a guy that went to Howard originally, played football there before transferring back to his hometown Cincinnati Bearcats and kind of had to earn his way to even being a, a player at all. It's not like he was some high recruiter or anything. Um, and, and it just seems like a culture guy, dude. And I feel like that's the kind of guy they're going to try to get done early, you know, and the other thing too, with the safety position is, you know, it's not like the biggest paid position and, and that, that might help his case in this one as well. I went with Joshua Williams though, Fayetteville state cornerback, the fourth round pick. I know this is kind of an interesting one, but the reason I went here, my logic behind the Joshua Williams pick here, when you think about what, what his career path is going to look like, I could see him not contributing very quickly um i do think he has talent but you know they they drafted a good amount of defensive backs this year they have you know guys that they can throw in that maybe he's just a special teamer for the first year or maybe even the first couple years because he did play at a d2 school where he just may have to take a good amount of time to get his skills refined but that's the thing i do think you know we could see him maybe start to take some steps to the point where you know maybe after that third year you know, they're just saying, screw it. Let's just get this guy done. He may not be all the way there. He may not be, you know, a starter for us yet or like this big impact player for us yet. But we can see it coming. We can see the the vision. And they sign him cheap to a contract extension before, you know, he, he kind of blows up and, be, you know, and earns a lot more because, you know, I, I think he has a, a very good chance to have a, Josh, uh, a Traverius Ward-like career. But also, honestly, I think he has a higher ceiling. And I think I trust the people's opinions that I've seen of him you know, how Dane Brugler, the athletic, had him as the 12th ranked cornerback in a second to third round grade. I mean, Traverius Ward wasn't getting those type of type of grades before the draft. Right. So this guy has a lot higher ceiling than you think of typically for a D2 corner. And I could see where the Chiefs kind of get by extending him kind of early and getting him cheap before he really blows up um, and hits his prime. So, yeah, I like that discussion, those superlatives. We're going to throw it to break right here, listeners. And on the other side. We're going to look into the depth chart, into the roster, look at how it looks now that we have some picks to, you know, some draft picks at each position, kind of see where we're at um, big picture wise. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back with that. All right. We are back in on the AP draft room podcast. Appreciate you listening as we wrap up the 2022 NFL draft coverage on the site. No longer evaluating prospects. We are just evaluating very young Chiefs now moving forward. We we know who these who the Chiefs are, who the Chiefs draft picks are. Very exciting time. Kind of, you know, get a, a good feel for what we're going to get out of these guys. Brian will have a McDuffie article out as he's talked about on the pie already. But here for the rest of the show, let's just look at the depth chart as a whole, guys. I think this will be kind of a fun exercise. Kind of, pl- you know, I plugged in all the, all the rookies, undrafted free agent uh, signings as well into our little depth chart we have that I, that I keep to kind of, you know, get a look at the roster from the big picture. And let's just go real quick through a few positions just to name them. 
you know, QB, they did add Dustin Crumb, so they have four quarterbacks on the roster. They have one fullback on the roster, nine tight ends on the roster, which is just crazy. Um, but but they do have nine tight ends. But let's start receiver here. I want your guys' thoughts. The Chiefs have what looks like a total of 14 receivers signed, you know, a lot of them to re- reserve future deals. But there's there's this four, there's a group of four receivers that we kind of know what we're going to get from them, right, to an extent. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Juju Smith-Schuster, Sky Moore, and McCole Hardman. They're on the top of the roster. From that point on, you have Therese Fountain, Corey Coleman, Cornell Powell, Josh Gordon, Garrick Dieter, Justin Watson, just a bunch of names on, on top of other ones, you know, some lesser names even than that. So, Brian, I'll start with you here. We talk about receivers. You know, do you see them going five, six receivers? How many, you know, how much room is there for an actual receiving ability when you consider Travis Kelsey? It was not named in that as well. Like, are we just, are, are the rest of the receivers besides those four just going to be special teams guys? Like, should we even think to to be excited about anything besides those four receiver? What do you think? No, I, I think it's pretty much, if they're healthy, it's those four. And then, you know, you're going to have a couple guys who are maybe one guy who's a special teamer. And then on the practice squad, they'll stash some bodies who, okay, if if this player's out for a couple weeks, we can bring him up and, and get some usage out of him. But, you know, like I said, Juju and, and Hardman and, and MBS and now Sky Moore, if they're available, those four I think are going to eat up every single snap um, at that position. And it's just kind of interesting to see, you know, who takes, who takes those uh, reps from there. But, you know, uh, big picture – I just real quick would throw it to you guys. Do you think, and I put this on Twitter, this top four, Valdez, Scantling, and Moore, and Juju, and um, and Hardman, do you think that they're better than what they had last year? Do you think they're better than the combination as a whole of Tyreek Hill, Demarcus Robinson, uh, Byron Pringle, and McCall Hardman? That is a tough question, Talent. I'm going to have you answer that first to get your takes off. Because um, it, is, it, is, it is, you know, talking about depth compared to top end, it's it's a tough question. Yeah, um, I'm still going to say that Tyreek Hill just gave them more than what – I mean, we haven't seen what this group can put together. So it's hard to say that this group is is better than, you know, man, Tyreek Hill was good. Um, and he and Travis Kelsey combined. That, you know, let's not forget how good that was. So – I'm excited about the young group of receivers. I think Scott Moore will, you know, I know I was harsh about my grading and stuff like that, but I, you know, he's in a great position. He's excited yeah. to be a chief. Um, he is really great off the line of scrimmage. I'm just, you know, when he has the ball in his hands, I'm, I'm, I'm eager to see how well he does transition his game from, from his college level to the NFL pro level. I think once the ball is in his hands, that's when the story gets told, but I'm excited for this group. And I, yeah, those, those four are the guys um, you know, maybe Josh Gordon sticks around. I don't know how many chances he's going to get. We kind of talk pre-show. I, I, I tend to kind of like him. I, I kind of root for the guy. Um, oh, yeah. but yeah, be, beyond that, uh, yeah, I know Dory's Fountain. Man, he, he, he could come off. Um, Defo, it, it'd be something. But yeah, other than that, those, those four, and and beyond that, it's uh, kind of a crapshoot. Yeah, and that's the thing. That's why maybe doubling up on receiver just didn't make sense, right? Maybe it's just, you know, maybe the Chiefs are just smart in that sense to where, hey, we got our four receivers. The rest of them can be, you know, special teams guys. We'll see what these four receivers look like this year and see, you know, which ones we want to keep, you know, for the rest of the, you know, for obviously past 2022 because, you know, Juju and McColl are both, you know, uh, slated to be free agents next year. 
And, you know, if, if they don't live up to it, then we'll see a receiver drafted again next year. Then you get back to back years of investment in receiver. And I do want to bring up the fact that Mike Borgonzi, and I honestly don't know his official title with the Chiefs, but he's in the front office. He's, you know, assistant to GM uh, in some extent. He talked with the media after the Sky Moore pick. And I thought it was really interesting. This goes to your point, Brian, kind of comparing what, what they had last year. Someone asked him about, you know, what do you have with Sky Moore that maybe you, you didn't have last year at receiver? And, you know, I think he, he kind of started out without answering it, but I think eventually he got some, he kind of just described Sky Moore as someone that's going to, you know, get to where he's supposed to be and catch the ball. And, you know, when the question was framed as, what are you getting that you didn't have last year? You almost kind of take that as a shot at what they had in D Rob, Byron Pringle, even maybe, um, which, you know, we kind of like to, to think Byron Pringle was a pretty safe, um, reliable receiver, but, you know, maybe maybe they just didn't have the same connection. Maybe maybe they just really needed to increase, you know, the uh, competency of the receiver position, you know, behind the the top guys, you know, receivers that are that are going to be trusted and reliable to get where they're supposed to be. You know, maybe they just didn't really feel like they had that with D. Rob and Byron Pringle last year. So interesting of note. I also want to talk about the receiver, or sorry, the running back position because they they brought in three running backs in the pre in the draft process. I should say. Um, they drafted Pacheco, Isaiah Pacheco, the Rutgers running back. But then they also signed Jerian Ely, Jerian Ely probably, the Ole Miss running back, and Tayon Fleet Davis, the Maryland running back, So as undrafted free agents. I think Ely is somebody that um, could, could rival Pacheco um, to get that spot. But I don't know, guys. I just wanted to see your opinion on them not – adding running back early and kind of just throwing a bunch of darts at it late in the draft like they did and and hoping to find that running back four out of one of those guys. We don't know much about these guys, right? No one's saying we do, but just the fact that they didn't kind of over over um over emphasize, I guess, how important that position is and kind of just took some swings late in the draft. Is that the right move or would you have liked to see them maybe try to find a, a more talented guy earlier in the draft? What do you think? Uh, I think this is more trying to find a return, man. I don't know if they're really yeah. addressing the running back room per se. I think this is, hey, these guys have one speed, get, you know, they're, they're a one speed kind of guy. Dave Tobe likes those guys as, as, you know, returners. So I think I think that's really what, I mean, these guys could have been receivers and they would have taken them. Um, I think it's more of a, what do they provide as a kick and punt returner more? So, and if they stick around as a running back in special situations, but I mean, Ronald Jones is around, Clyde Edwards-Alaire is still around, and Derek Gore was, was brought back. So I, there's a lot of there's a lot of bodies in that room already, so I don't know how much opportunity is there. My big yeah, takeaway at, at, at the position is I, I think they're tired of, of slow running backs. Um, that's something <laughs> last year that was a, a really big problem, and we saw it on, on film all the time. It's like, here's this gaping hole, hit it, and you've got an easy 20 yards, maybe more. And time after time, that just didn't necessarily happen. But now with Ronald Jones and now Pacheco, if he does make the roster, you know, he's got plenty of flaws, but he does have top-end speed. They've got a couple of dudes who um, fit that mold that, that that can house one from anywhere on the field if it's blocked up. But at the same time, who knows? Maybe none of these rookies even make the team. They're, you right. know, they are just lottery tickets at best, being seventh round, undrafted free agents. And um, and so, you know, it, it's still the Clyde and, and Rojo show, I would guess, as we stand. And, and maybe, like Talon said, maybe they find a return guy. That would be really nice if they didn't have to have that pressure on McColl, um when he needs to play a lot in the offense, too. Yeah, and I should have mentioned at the top, but we the running back position has Clyde at the top, 
Ronald Jones, obviously, maybe those two together. But then Derek Gore is back in the fold. They did tender him and get him back on this team for 2022. Um, so you have those three backs. We know who kind of what you get from them. So, yeah, there is a fourth back here. Talon, I like your point on the kick return because that's what I instantly thought of. Anyone that looked at my grade of the Pacheco uh, signing I or the uh, pick, I should say. Um, I, that was my immediate thought is this guy is going to be a Niall Davis esque player where Niall Davis, if you guys remember from the, the 2013 draft played in the early Andy Reed days, um, he was a one trick pony, man. He, he was very fast and he was a big dude. And that's, I think Pacheco is actually a pretty ripped dude. You know, you watch him and he's, he's Jack, man. He's a pretty built dude, but he's fast. He ran a four, three, seven in the pre-draft process, which was obviously one of the fastest running back times. And that's what Niall Davis was. He was drafted in the third round because he ran like a 4-3-3 or 4-3-4 at like 215 or 220. It was insane. Um, and so he gets drafted and gave the Chiefs some big plays. I mean, you know, uh, first playoff win in 22 years, you know, has the opening kickoff return for a touchdown, even though it wasn't much of him. I mean, that was, that was a broken up wide open play, if anyone remembers. But all that to say, Pacheco kind of reminds me of that, where he's going to be a guy that he has good straight ahead speed. So, and he, you know, he's, he's a big dude. So he's going to be not necessarily easy to tackle. Um, and so, yeah, if he has a, a lane open wide open form, like you, he might have with Trey Smith and Orlando Brown and whoever kicking ass up front, he's going to make a big play out of it. Cause he's got the speed and he's also going to be a kick returner, but I don't know if he's going to be anything more than that. Um, and, and, you know, that might overrate him in terms of, you know, he might, he might be a little, you know, he might show his speed might be overrate him what he is as a player overall, but. Hey, that's what speed's all about. That's what it's all about. And the NFL obviously values it like the Chiefs did. At offensive line, though, real quick, um, the last position on, on the offense we haven't hit yet. We already talked about Darren Kennard, how it kind of affects the Lucas Niang situation. You know, they have their starters pretty much set everywhere else. Orlando Brown Jr. still needs to get that that extension, um, the you know, to get that franchise tag. You know, they have good depth, you know, with Allegretti, with Andrew Wiley, with Austin Ryder on the, in, on the interior but also a Jerron Christian who uh, Brian, you broke down for the site when we signed him. So 14 total offensive linemen. I mean, fellas, it's hard. It's hard to feel any, you know, any, any sort of thing about the offensive line besides good. Right. I mean, you guys don't have, you know, we can make it pretty quick here, but there's no complaints about what this offensive line looks like. Right. Or do you have any? No, I think it looks great. I mean, the canard feels like the final piece. I mean, before that it was, it wasn't necessarily an incomplete puzzle, but just kind of lacking, you know? Yeah you know, something. So yeah, I, I like it. I think this is a great group and they're, they're going to put the best five out there. Same. Um, I, I can't believe that it looks deeper to me than it was last year. And last year it felt like right. they were nine deep. Uh, this year you could argue it's, it's 10 uh, when Niang's healthy. If Kennard is a hit at right tackle, I mean, it's just going to be insane. It's going to, it's going to be the best line in the league bar none. If he's not necessarily a right tackle, he's going to give him a really strong backup interior guy for four yeah. years. So, um, yeah, like they're way ahead of that curve, and it's a result of what they did last offseason. Just put them in a position of strength that they can continue to roll on um, as they make these these moves in the future. Yeah, and that's that's the thing um, when you're talking about this with with Kennard is a lot of people consider him a guard. Apparently, I know um, I didn't think it, think of it that way. Really, I really didn't. I, I see him as a, as a as a tackle. You know, I get the guard things because he may not have the feet to keep up with you know really quick speed rushers around the edge. I totally understand that. 
Um, so yeah, it's, it's an important note to kind of, uh, point out Brian that, yeah, he could just be really good interior depth. I mean, that, that some people have projected him in like that and that's maybe why he went to the fifth round. Um, but Dane, I mean, Dane Burglar actually, I guess did the athletics Dane Burglar had him as a guard. He was the third best guard in the, in the prospect, in the class. So, you know, it's just kind of funny. <laughs> I mean, the chiefs, you know, the rich just keep getting richer. So let's finish up though. Let's talk about the defense. There's plenty of storylines on the defense. Let's start up front the defensive line. On the edge specifically, I obviously you know one of the most important positions um, in the NFL, and and we all know that as as a three here, and the Chiefs only added Carl Loftus, even undrafted free agents. They're still we have not heard any edges be be added, even as bodies. So right now you have Frank Clark, you have Joshua Kando, you have George Carl Loftus, you have Mike Dana, and then behind those four, you have Malik Herring, who spent all of 2021 on the PUP list. He was a he was an undrafted free agent signing last season. And then Jonathan Woodard was the Canadian Football League signing from earlier this offseason. That's all you have on the edge. And what I just I I there's a room for more edges, obviously. They have to, right? They can't, this isn't the group, right? They're not going into week one with just these four or five or six players that I just named because it's just not good enough. We just know it isn't. I mean, it's just not even up for debate. That being said, how much room is there? And Brian, I'll start with you here. How much room do you see on this on this team? You know, is there only one signing they need to make? Is there two veterans they need to bring in? What what is your opinion on this situation? Ideally, it is just one. And and to me, the only situation in which it would be more than that is if Frank Clark, who Andy Reid publicly has put the challenge out there, and he said at these owners' meetings just a few weeks ago in Florida. Hey, we've told Frank, you know, he needs to have a really good offseason. He needs to work out and be in great shape for camp and things like that. And to me, that was almost like if you don't show up ready to go, you're not guaranteed a, a starting job type of thing. But if he does that, I only see one spot because if you look at it this way, okay, if they bring Ingram back and, and, and basically you have the same room of defensive ends except you've switched out Okafor for Karloftis. Um, yeah, pretty yeah. much. Um, so, and it may not be Ingram, but it, you know, it's going to be somebody like that. Um, so I see it as one. And, and I think in that situation, if they can stay healthy, they might be a little bit better than they were last year. Not that that's saying a whole lot, but I think they definitely are better. Um, just man for man. Dude. I, I, I think when you're talking about like, you're right. I think when you, if you bring back Melvin Ingram and you think about what the roster looked like last year, you replace Okafor's impact and snaps matt stagner actually mentioned this on on our live stream but um if you replace his direct you know directly replace his snaps and impact with Karloftis as an individual Karloftis is definitely going to give you a little more than than oakford did um in terms of when he's that fourth rusher of the you know the other three guys are kind of specialty rushers you kind of feel good about him and then Karloftis is that fourth guy taking advantage of the one-on-one with the guard you know you know kicked inside on a certain pass rush package Croft is, is going to take advantage of that guy depending on who it is, right? And and he's going to have the motor to make him work and and really make that guy, you know, uh, you know, sweat every in, you know, every ounce of that play to to make sure Croft just doesn't get a sack. So I don't think Oakford, uh, you know, had that same sort of ability, but I like that. You know, I I think there is room for another guy. I think I hope it's Melvin Ingram, honestly, just because we saw. I mean, it seemed like he he has some juice, and I don't think any other edge rushers on the market have any juice. Um, Talon, when you look at the edge group right now, does the signing Melvin Ingram make you feel good, or is are you gonna are you already setting yourself up? Because I'm kind of in this way. I'll, I'll say it. I'm setting myself up to where like we we just can't be that high on the pass rush no matter what happens this year. Um, it, it's just not 
you know, it just doesn't seem like there's a lot of ceiling to it. But what do you think, Town? If they sign Melvin Ingram, does that do enough for you? What do you think? I mean, it helps. But, I mean, when I look at the pass rush or the defensive line as a whole, um, I mean, yeah, there, there's just not a lot of juice there. But, you know, they might be looking at other ways to to get to the passer. I mean, they, they did recently bring in Shalit Calhoun, who I know had not been very productive at the NFL level. But this is a kind of edge guy build wise profile wise that spag seems to like he had a really good career at michigan state uh had double digit sacks his, his last year there and i mean he played for for the raiders and then he went to to new england um so he, it's not necessarily he, he maybe he just hadn't had the right opportunity so i don't know Shilly calhoun someone that they might be looking at let's move him to, to defensive end and see if he finds a spot there along our line or um you know the, leo chanel has been talking about but maybe producing some pass rush so um Drafting McDuffie yeah. maybe allows Snead to move inside and rush from the slot a little bit more, or, or yeah, uh, pass yeah. rush from the slot a little bit more. So maybe they're just looking and saying, as a team, we have enough pass rush juice that we don't need it coming straight from the edge. Dude, I, I think it's a great point. I like the Shalik Calhoun, um, uh, you know, the little facts there. I think the people will appreciate that. He's a guy they brought in. Um, I project him kind of to be that Sam type of linebacker, you know, a guy that's going to be a little close to the line of scrimmage, maybe give you some pass rush ability. And same with Chanel. We talked about it a little earlier, but he is a guy that can definitely get after the quarterback. Maybe they think, you know, let's think about this real quick. You know, maybe they go into nickel sometimes, and maybe that second edge rusher, depending on the situation, is Leo Chanel instead of another defensive end, right? Maybe, you know, and, and so you have Bolton, Willie Gay, and Chanel all on the field, but Chanel is literally on the edge playing, you know, technically defensive end in a pass rush package. I mean, that's the kind of stuff they can do that they haven't done before. And that's kind of stuff that, you know, shout out our guy, Matt Stagner. Again, I mean, he, he's been calling for them to have a, a Sam linebacker that can really give you pass rushing juice, um, not just be kind of a guy you can that can hold up on the on the edge, but actually, you know, get after the quarterback a little bit. I think they have a few options there. I think Shalit Calhoun is, you know, it, it was uh, what? Uh, Jeremiah Tatu a couple of years ago, uh, Kaliki Correa uh, last year. They do always bring in these guys. They never seem to make it to camp or make it through camp. But uh, Shalit Calhoun might be uh, might be someone to look out for there. So I like that. Real quick on the defensive tackle room because, man, it is it is packed in there right now. Um, Derek Noddy, Chris Jones, Colin Saunders, Tershawn Wharton, and Taylor Stallworth, all guys with NFL experience, all guys that have have given you know given you something to be excited about at some point in their NFL careers, um, even if it's been very brief. Um, those are all guys that are going to eat up snaps and give you different things. That's five defense tackles. That's really all you bring, right? So that's pretty much set. But this is where I want to bring this topic maybe to the table. Just something I've thought about personally. Is there any chance Tershawn Wharton is used more as an edge in this next year? Because he is a lighter defensive tackle. I think the only strengths he has a defensive tackle is just being so quick against the guard and pass rush that the guard just can't handle it, right? Is there any, we've seen him be used a little more on the edge last year. Is there any way that they maybe think maybe they're bulking him up a little bit? Um, not bulking him up, I should say, but just, you know, getting him to a point where he can maybe play edge. They're kind of preparing him to play more edge and kind of hoping that is the case. Cause I do think we've seen him play a little bit there. I don't know, Brian, is that something you'd consider at all? Or, or do you think he's, he's better where he's been being used? I don't want to say it's impossible. I, I wouldn't call it impossible, but I don't think it's what they're going to do. Um, just because there are eventually, if they do add one body, I think they're kind of 
loaded up at end, especially if they do decide to use Chanel in a role like that at all. I think he's a better fit than maybe Wharton would be out there uh, to eat some snaps. What I just hope for Wharton's, uh, you know, his situation is that they'll be able to use him a little bit more ideally in, in terms of down and distance. And, and do we think it's going to be a pass? Do we think it's going to be a run? Um, you know, Colin Saunders staying healthy would help. Derek Naughty being healthy would help because Wharton, his burst and his lateral quickness as a interior pass rusher is, is truly special. And that's what, that's his like one thing that keeps him on the roster. If it wasn't for that, Right, he's right. never going to be a full time player. He just can't hold up against the run like it, like you you should be able to. Um, but I'd like to see them put him in spots where he can use that quickness because that is where he can make an actual difference uh, for the defense. Yeah, and I will say another um, depth guy that has been on the team a little bit, Austin Edwards. Um, he was a an undrafted free agent last year, I believe. You know, he's kind of a tweener. Maybe he might be able to take up some edge snaps too. Um, if he continues to to play a little more, I know he was more of a three tech last year that I, as I recall. So maybe he has a little bit of that juice to play on the edge. But moving on to linebacker, I think linebacker is a really intriguing position all of a sudden because they, we we all know they have their two guys. It seems like you know Bolton and Gay are going to be the guys we really like for the next few years, seemingly. But then they add Leo Chanel this this draft. They brought in Jermaine Carter Jr., the Panther starting Mike linebacker last year. Um, Elijah Lee is kind of some special teams depth, and then actually signed a couple, you know, notable names, uh, notable names from the draft class after in the undrafted free agency. Mike Rose, the Iowa State linebacker, I think everyone kind of considered him as, as someone um, to take in the draft. And then Jack Co- Cochran or Cochran, um, he went to South Dakota State. But yeah, their linebacker group has a lot of different, you know, options, a lot of different names, and you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna kind of be interesting to see what they do besides Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. I really think Chanel has a chance to come in and 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 mix some things up, man. I think Bolton, um, I, I love Bolton. I really think he showed off really good last year. But Chanel is a really good prospect, and I don't think there's any reason. There's no reason to believe for me that like there's no way Chanel or Bolton is, is going to be the starter over Chanel for the entirety of the rookie contract. I'm going to say that right now. I think Chanel is that good of a prospect. Um, and so I really think we could see that right now, maybe in a more specialized role. But moving forward, all that to say is just that the linebacker group is in a really good spot. And I know we've already said that a little bit, but what are you guys thoughts on the linebacker position and just how strong of a position can this be? And how much does having this strong of a position at linebacker impact the rest of the defense i mean how 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 does this make how do how much better does this make the rest of the defense what do you guys think oh it improves it vastly when you have three guys i mean obviously bolton and gay have the range they, they they're the speedier guys and they can still tackle in the gaps um but chanel seems to be that that true downhill thumper um you know run stuffing the guy that's not gonna you know the just the prototypical leader of the room. And, and he does have some serious leadership qualities. And and we've talked on this podcast before about where are they going to find the leadership for the defense? And well, maybe, maybe Leo Chanel just comes in and takes his defense over and, and they find a, you know, Bolton in the Sam role and Chanel in the Mike role again, the, in the will roll and base. And then they, you know, they move people around in different schemes and find, you know, cause these guys are all three athletes. They're all three good football players. So I think they can all three be on the field at, you know, different schemes and they're, you know, they can, they can get creative here. Exactly, right? That And that's what I love about it. They can get creative, Brian. Do you agree with that? What, what do you think about the linebackers? Certainly that um, kind of goes along with what we were saying earlier with you, these linebackers and blitzing and, and the types yeah, of things yeah. they might be able to do because they're just so gifted and, and physical and explosive. But 
Yeah, I will say, even though I do love the Chanel pick, and I think it's going to be by far the best set of linebackers they've had in the Mahomes era, um, I also believe, with no other information than what the general public has, I, I think they view Nick Bolton, you know, his stock looking forward, I think, in the eyes of the Chiefs decision makers is higher than than maybe anybody on the defense. I, I think they really believe in that kid. And, um, you know, in his production last year in a limited role was outstanding. Um, and, and he's going to take over as the the green dot, you know, the guy calling all the plays, the Anthony Hitchens mental role but he's going to do it at a much higher level on the field. So, you know, to kind of spin on your take, Ron, I think it's maybe a few years down the road, more likely that it's Bolton and Chanel working together. And I know that that sounds a little crazy too, because, you know, Willie Gay's awesome, but, but Gay has had some in injury issues. Um, you know, he's missed some, some practice and, and time with other things off the field. I just don't know maybe if they feel like they can count on him at the same level they can Bolton right now, but it's a good problem to have. They're studs and one of the best groups in the whole league uh, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Hey, I I, I said that too on, on my instant reaction to the Chanel pick was that this linebacker group, I think it has an argument to be one of the most impressive three-man groups in the entire NFL, um, especially when you're talking about how, how young they all are. I mean, they're so impressive already, but you know, we're not we haven't seen any of their best plays yet. And I mean, we've seen some really good stuff from Willie Gay and Nick Bolton. No, I, I want to go back to what you said about maybe Bolton and Chanel playing together. Right. Because first of all, I mean, I'm just imagining a heavy nickel set with with Bolton and Chanel and, and just, you know, how 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 much ground those two can cover in terms of if the, if a if a team wants to run against their nickel, man, it, it'll be like there's three linebackers, you know, in, in off ball when there's only two. Um, because of how much space those two can cover in a box. I mean, both of those guys just read a box so well, shoot gaps so well. You know, as soon as they see the guard, boom, he's right there. You know, just just slipping blocks so well to get to where they need to be. Those guys, I think, you know, you might sacrifice a little pass coverage if you do those heavy nickel sets with those two. But, man, you would be, you know, you'd be set against the run. You would be very set. But I, I want to go back to that, too, because – you know, I think Chanel should get a little more credit for what he can do as a movement player. Obviously, we know he's a really good athlete. He was a 9.99 RAS, but man, and he was a former running back too in high school. But yeah, I mean, he 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 may not be the most natural cover player in terms of just you know, hey, he's gonna get it'll be a little clunky in terms of he might run into a receiver, get past interference, or just not not cut, cut, carry a a vertical route up the seam very well. But he's he can move and he and he has that baseline. If he can kind of get down, you know, I think Bolton kind of is in that same vein. But I was more impressed with Chanel's movement skills than Bolton, and and so I I do think you know you could see Chanel maybe even be able to be like a heavy will, like you, they used Damian Wilson at times in a heavy nickel set, you know, uh, in 2019. Line so I could talk about the linebackers for days, man. I'm really excited about these linebackers. We're running long here, but we just love talking Chiefs, talking drafts. That's why we don't want to let this this show go yet. But we're going to finish here on the cornerbacks and safeties because that's the position that we talked about was attacked a lot. Right now at cornerback, they have Trent McDuffie, Legereus Sneed, Rashad Fenton, Joshua Williams, DeAndre Baker, Jalen Watson, DiCaprio Boodle, and then the two signings this offseason, Luke Barku and Brandon Dandridge, the CFL cornerback. A lot of names in there. They only typically keep five or six corners, and I just, you know, they have about six names at corner that you know that you know that can play in the NFL at least uh, when you consider Baker as that last name. Maybe, well, I sorry, I shouldn't say the rookies. We know they should play in the NFL yet, but 
Joshua Williams, Jalen Watson, you think about those guys, they're probably, you know, probably gonna have at least a chance at first. DiCaprio Boodles on the fringes of it. What do you feel? What do you think about this cornerback group? Is this something exciting? Is there long-term potential? Is there short-term potential? Just Brian, I'll let you start. What do you think about the cornerback group uh, that, that I just named off? There's both. There truly is. You've got your three starters already in place, McDuffie, Fenton, um, and Sneed. Those three guys are very kind of like we were discussing a bit uh, earlier on. They're, they're sticky in coverage, and they stay in the hip pocket of receivers. Now, Trent hasn't proved it at the pro level yet, but we can kind of project, you know, he's going to do that at an adequate level. Um, but then with these other guys like, like Joshua Williams and Jalen Watson, you have the long-term potential there. Um, if even just one of them develops and becomes starter caliber, that puts them the, the team in a great spot because then they can go ahead and let Fenton walk next year in free agency, collect a comp pick probably, um, assuming he has a, a solid fourth year here for the Chiefs. But So in that way, I, I think it's in really solid shape all around as long as one of those two, uh, you know, becomes competent, I guess uh, would be the word. Right. Yeah. And, and Hey, we talk about Rashad Fenton, you know, it was only a few years ago. He was a sixth round pick that, you know, no one knew, you know, if he was going to be much of anything. Now we all think of him as a, as a guy we can trust on the outside, right. In, in the starting defense, um, you know, to an extent, obviously will be interesting to see. Uh, I, I could see where they, they probably don't sign him right with this investment in cornerback this year. You know, you probably let him walk next offseason unless he, he really, you know, really just, earns your trust i guess and you really want to keep him talon is there there's no room to add to this cornerback group you don't think or or, or do you have any takes on that no i i think this is what they're rolling with um yeah i like mcduffie man yeah i'm excited for this group there's a lot of talent and there's a lot i think this is going to open up sneed and fenton to really thrive in their particular roles i think mcduffie's going to take a lot off their plate that they might not necessarily been the best at that's a good point because Fenton is a natural slot. I mean, as as far as we know, I mean, he's been playing. I I've really liked him on the outside the past few years. I but he originally came in and was playing a lot of slot. He was a backup slot his first year as a rookie. Um, and and I think I he they may still like him in that slot position. And and having McDuffie allows you to kind of have Snead or Fenton kind of maybe be the slot. Although I would definitely prefer Snead in those situations. But let's finish here. Let's finish on the safety group. Probably the strongest the safety group in terms of depth, um, just overall depth, has been in the Steve Spagnuolo era. Obviously, you talk about having a top-end guy like Tyron Matthew. You know, yeah, the safety position may, might have been better just because of his top-end talent. But this depth, man, I really like the fact that you have Justin Reed, Juan Thornhill, the rookie Brian Cook, who we all we all liked. And, that, and that's one thing I wanted to, I should have said earlier. We I don't know how we didn't have a draft profile out on this guy. I mean, he was he was on my on my list. I'm surprised though we didn't get to him because I think we all really liked him. We all saw uh, what the Chiefs apparently did too, and we definitely were f- fans of his as a player. So glad he we got him. Justin Reed, Juan Thornhill, Brian Cook. You got Dion Bush, the veteran from the Brown or the Bears that brought in this offseason. Nazi Johnson, the the we think we brought probably a safety, although he played a lot of slot reps at, at Marshall, but safety um, as well. The seventh round pick this year. And then Devon Key and Zane Anderson to round it out. A lot of safety names, a lot of names here, a lot of a lot of guys that that we were familiar with. Uh, also, you know, guys that we haven't seen yet. No room to add to this safety group, right? I mean, there's just none. I mean, this is this is pretty much it. How do you feel about the safety group? Is, is, am I accurate by saying that it's one of the, that it might be the strongest we've seen in the Steve Spagnuolo era, Brian? Do you think so? 
I tend to agree. Um, you know, I, I especially compared to last year because I just think Sorensen was so bad last year, and um, with all due respect, and and Tyron, <laughs> for as good as he was, he wasn't this the level that he was a uh, in 2019 right, right. and 2020. You know, he just slight step down. So now you're looking at it much better depth. You know, if an injury happens, we assume Brian Cook's probably next up in line. Yep. Um, and and even if an injury doesn't happen, he's basically replacing Swanson, and th- and that's just a huge deal in in a good way. Um, if Justin Reed can have his best year of his career, which I think he's more than you know capable of, I think it will no doubt be a, a better all around group than than they've maybe had uh, since Spagnola got here. Yeah, you talk about Brian Cook real quick. I, I do think you know we, we I probably should have said it earlier, but I think we all agree that he's probably just a direct replacement for what Sorensen gave you in those dime defenses that box safety that can kind of you know he can come up and play linebacker pretty much you know help against the run but also give you coverage ability um Talon let me know if you agree with that if he's pretty much just a direct Sorensen replacement and besides that just what are your takes on the safety class or safety group if you really think it is you know if you're excited about it or what you think about it yeah, I think that's going to be his role uh, yep. right off the gate. Right away, but, yeah. Right away, yeah. But eventually, yeah, we, we kind of talk about I think he's going to grow into something special. Um, I like this. I'm excited to see Justin Reed. Um, I think he's a much better player than people kind of giving him credit for. Um, I think he's going to really probably provide a lot more that Tyron Matthew uh, provided in 2021. Like He's going to be better than Matthew was in 21. I'm just going to say it. Um, okay. Matthew was great in 2019 and 2020, but there was a fall off and, and for him to still be a free agent, obviously other people saw it. So um, it's true. I, I'm excited for the safety room. Depth is there. Starting talent is there. Juan Thornhill is going to be playing for a big contract. So I think he's going to be really motivated. I think this is just mm-hmm. an all around really talented group. And that's going to play a lot of good football. Yeah, no, that's true. I, I like your point on Justin Reed. Um, you know, I, I probably don't give him enough credit for what he's going to be um, with the Chiefs. Brian mentioned it too, man. He's young. I mean, he's a very young free agent. You don't see free agents get signed at 25 a lot. And so he his best years are, are probably ahead of him. And and that's where we've already talked about it. But, man, the Chiefs did a really good job of, of their free agency signings being guys that you could see their best football being ahead of them. And you're not paying for what they've done um, necessarily in the past. And if you are paying maybe – like a Juju Smith-Schuster, you're only giving him, you know, nine or ten million instead of, you know, giving him this big deal or whatever. This team, man, it has been an exciting offseason. Um, this AP team here, it has been fun time breaking down the draft, covering the draft. It's sad to see us go, man. The AP draft room. This is where we're going to leave you, listeners. Uh, it's not the end of us. Uh, the us three. We'll be back on the AP film room on the YouTube channel. You never know. We'll 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 hop, hop back on a podcast for for some things, obviously, but. The draft was fun this year, guys. It was a good time. Appreciate your guys' hard work. I appreciate the whole team's hard work, man. I, there were so many guys that contributed to this year's coverage. Really think we knocked it out of the park. So I'm just going to give you guys the opportunity to say bye to the people and, uh, you know, just just anything else you want to talk about as we get out of here. Talon, what's up? Yeah, man, that was this was a fun first season. Um, I mean, I've covered the draft before, but nothing this intensely. Um, the opportunity was, was, was special. It was humbling. And, um, the interaction with fans, although it was, you know, somewhat tumultuous at times, it's so many opinions, but now that everybody's a chief, um, I am looking forward to seeing everybody reach their full potential and, and, and looking forward to, to 
you know, getting back to the Super Bowl and, and remaining Super Bowl contenders. And I think Brett, Brett Veach um, had the toughest draft ahead of him. And yet this is probably the best one he's had. So I'd hats off to him, hats off to the AP team. Everybody was lights out all season long. Um, you know, now we get a little breather, but you know, it's, I'm excited to get going already. Like I'm sad to see this go. It's going to be nice to get a little break, but yes, looking forward to the future. Yeah. We'll be breaking down these rookies these next few weeks. So uh, there's still more to come. Everybody, Brian, what do you got to say to the people on our final episode? Yeah, it certainly feels like we just finished a a marathon and you know, it's intensive and as nice as it would be, if this was all of our full-time jobs, it's, it's just not. And so to do it at a high level, um, it's definitely draining, but you know, wouldn't have it any other way. It's a ton of fun. And, and anybody listening, if you even just listen to one episode or, or, you know, two minutes of, of our podcast, we appreciate that. Um, and just cause we're going somewhere doesn't mean that Arrowhead pride is, there's going to be a whole lot more to come as there always is. We've got a huge team and, um, and I know we're getting better every single day too. So, so stay tuned for what's to come and another huge season, uh, season for the chiefs. Uh, surely as well yep it'll be an exciting one obviously a little different um, but we'll get into all that as as we get closer to training camp it is now that time to count down the days of training camp until we're in st joe missouri looking at the newest version of the kansas city chiefs listeners as they just said i i'll echo it i appreciate you thank you for listening in this pre-draft process Make sure you're tuning into the rest of the podcast now. We've got so many good shows. We're going to start getting into a regular schedule with our with our main guys again, whether it's the Great British Chiefs show, the show in BK, uh, you know, breaking down the Chiefs on Fridays. Editor show is always a staple, obviously. I believe Staggs and I will get back on the outer structure, answering your questions on a weekly basis or a bi-weekly basis, maybe. We don't know the exact structure yet. We'll see. That's why it's called outer structure, by the way. Uh, <laughs> um, but appreciate you listening, obviously. Please continue to check out the site, arrowheadpride.com. Check us out on Twitter. Interact with us, please. We love it. And we will catch you next time, next time we talk to you. Thank you very much.